All right, Mark chapter 13, verse number 1. And as he went out of the temple, one of his disciples saith unto him, Master, see what manner of stones and what buildings are here. And Jesus answering saith unto him, Seest thou these great buildings? There shall not be left one stone upon another that shall not be thrown down. And as he sat upon the Mount of Olives over against the temple, Peter, James, Peter and James and John and Andrew asked him privately, Tell us, what shall these things be? And what shall be the sign when all these things shall be fulfilled? And Jesus answering them began to say, Take heed, lest any man deceive you. For many shall come in my name, saying, I am Christ, and shall deceive many. And when ye hear of wars and rumors of wars, be ye not troubled, for such things must needs be. But the end shall not be yet. For nation shall rise against nation, and kingdom against kingdom, and there shall be earthquakes in divers places, and there shall be famines and troubles. These are the beginnings of sorrows. Let's look to the Lord in prayer. Dear Jesus, thank you for another day you've given to us, another Sunday morning you've allowed. Lord, we've been blessed already by uh, the singing, the choir, and the specials. Lord, to see a family dedicate their child to you. Lord, we've been blessed. And Lord, I pray now as we come to your word that we'll be encouraged, Lord, to know that you are in control. And Lord, you're watching over us. Lord, I pray you watch over us now in Jesus' name. Amen. Mark chapter number 13 is part of uh, Jesus leaving. He just left uh, the temple area in Jerusalem. It's known as the Olivet uh, Discourse. And uh, this this portion or this chat or, uh, message, this teaching time uh, with the disciples is recorded in Matthew 24 and 25 and Luke 21. So it's recorded for us in other places. Unfortunately, over the years, this portion of Scripture has been used by those who have not been true to the gospel, not been true to the truth, and been lifted out of the original context or what it should be saying. And because of that, various false doctrines and teachings have arisen about end times and the second coming of Christ and even about salvation. And as we travel through this portion of Scripture, we're not going to look at the whole chapter today. Definitely not time for that. Uh, but as we travel through that in the next few Sunday mornings, uh, we'll take time. We'll be careful. Amen? You need to be careful with the truth. You gotta know what the truth is so you can find out what the error is, okay? So we'll be careful with what is the truth and make sure that we have the right focus of understanding of what the Lord is bringing forth to His disciples. And He's bringing forth to them back in that day and what He's bringing to our attention today because it's still relevant. The Word of God is still important today. It's, it's not, our society's not past the Bible. Our society needs the Bible more now than ever. So this is important to understand what it says and it's setting the stage. Jesus is setting the stage uh, for emphasis about the end times. And it's this, at this portion, though, is the beginning of sorrows. That's the latter part of verse 8 talks about that. So verses 1 and 2, we see a strange prediction. So we have looked for quite a time uh, in Sunday mornings about how Jesus showed up in the temple with the disciples. And uh, it was two chapters, actually, where we see Jesus' encounters with the religious Jews. And I think we would all agree, if you've heard any of the messages and if you've read this portion of Scripture, you would all agree that this would have been a tense time. Okay? They weren't sitting around eating food and having a little chat. This, these were intense conversations that Jesus was having, and his disciples were there too. Have you ever been with somebody who's got an intense argument with somebody else, but you're not really part of it? 
You're usually not there going, hey, where's the hot dog or something. You're, you're like, can't wait for this to get over. You know, you want to get out of there. You want to, and you just want to leave the scene. You want, you know, I'm not saying that they didn't appreciate the argument, but they just, you know, this is human nature. And surely some of the disciples were baffled that Jesus would not try to get the favor of the religious crowd and the Jewish people. Instead, Jesus did everything as a power to expose the hypocrites that these individuals were. I mean, he wasn't going soft. He was, he was going right for the heart. He was, that was the target. And now their time in the temple is over. They're walking out. And, uh, we don't know who this disciple is in this portion of scripture. But, uh, I definitely feel affinity with this disciple because this is exactly what I would do. You know, he's trying to, he's trying to lighten the mood. I mean, it was very intense. I mean, they were in the temple and Jesus was arguing with the leaders of the temple of the religious order and he was, Giving it to him. And this disciple tries to lighten the mood after all that negativity they experience. This guy wants to bring something positive to light. Lighten the mood. Maybe get a smile on the Lord's face. I mean, I don't know for sure, but I understand the human emotion here. So he calls the Lord's attention to the temple. And the temple was the center of the religious worship. It was the its construction. It was beautiful. It was amazing. The temple in Jerusalem was considered to be one of the most spectacular wonders of the ancient Roman world. It was amazing. It was originally, the first temple was instructed by Solomon, and it was a magnificent building. It took seven years to build that, and millions of dollars. This temple was completed, uh, completed, and then it was destroyed by Nebuchadnezzar in 600 B.C. Seventy years later, Jews came back and they rebuilt, uh, so the second temple, and that served them for nearly 500 years. Can you imagine some of the homes around here lasting 500 years? You know, so 500 years of this temple, it, it was starting to show its age, right? And uh, it was time for, it was suffering some damage over the passage of time. And King Herod assumed the throne in Israel, and he wanted to gain favor. He was a wicked man, uh, and he definitely did not love Christ. He didn't love the truth. Uh, but he was a politician, and he knew how to get some support behind him. So he offered uh, to rebuild the temple. And obviously... The Jews were like, yes, yes, we'll accept. And it began in 18 B.C. And by the time of Jesus, uh, the work had been underway for 46 years. 46 years. John 2.20 says, and then said the Jews, 40 and 6 years was this temple in building, and wilt thou wear it up in three days? So the next time you drive down a road and they've been at it for two years, you, you know the pain of someone else who's been at it for 46. You know, 46 years, and it continued for another 20 uh, just, I guess, repairing different parts. Uh, and the temple that Jesus and his men visited was an amazing place. It sat on top of Mount Moriah. It literally dominated the skyline of the ancient city. Uh, the temple mount covered one-sixth of the land mass of Jerusalem. So it was big. I mean, you didn't miss it. And uh, it, the temple itself was 172 feet long. Uh, I don't know exactly the width, but it was wide, and it was at least 10 stories tall. So everywhere you went, you saw that. And you can never, even miles away, you saw it. And uh, you'll notice that the disciple, in verse number 1, talks about the stones and the buildings. So the stones that made up, so they, they call it Herod, Herod's temp, uh, temple. Uh, it, they, these stones were massive. Enormous, ginormous, whatever word you want to use for big, okay? They were big. Uh, some were 
Some of the biggest were 40 feet long, 18 feet high, and 15 feet wide. That's huge. And they were cut by hand. They didn't get out the the saws or anything like we have today to cut that kind of stuff. It was done by hand. And they fit perfectly together. Now, I don't know how scholars could know this, but they say that they fit so tightly together, it was tough to put a piece of paper between them. That's a pretty close fit, right? I mean, that's amazing. And that was, it's just seamlessly fit together. The word building is referring to the architecture, the structures, the walls, the doors, uh, even the floors of the temple were amazing. They were overlaid with pure gold. There was jewels, uh, wonderful carvings, inspiring sights when you went into the temple. And it said when the sun came up over Jerusalem, you couldn't stand to look at the temple because the light reflecting off it with the gold was amazing. And parts that weren't covered with gold were white because of that limestone uh, that was used to build it. So could you imagine, even on a kind of a dungy day, I mean, it still was a beautiful sight to see. I mean, at night when there might have been lamps and lights on, or, uh, you know, uh, uh, flames and things, it would have reflected off that. It would have been amazing to see. Truly marvelous. And it, like every other Jew, this disciple was, was impressed by the temple. He was proud of it. It was part of his nation. Uh, it was part of his religion. So he calls the Lord's attention to the building. And then Jesus responds, this guy is trying to make things a little bit more, you know, let's calm down a little bit, let's have a light moment. He, Jesus is not interested in a light moment. He says he gives a really a strange response for us, definitely was not expected. Jesus hears the statement of the disciple, and then he responds, seest thou these great buildings? There shall not be left one stone upon the other. They shall not be, uh, Shall they not be thrown down? The temple, that was loved. That was the center of Jerusalem and of the Jewish nation. It's going to be destroyed. I mean, it's not going to be just destroyed. It's going to be dismantled. And this was literally fulfilled in 70 A.D. uh, when the Roman general Titus and his army conquered the city. Uh, I I like to read about military history. I just recently I read in a magazine about this uh, conquest. And uh, even in secular scholars and historians, they know that Titus told his men not to destroy the city. That was an order from the general. But the men of the Roman army were so infuriated by such a staunch defense by the Jewish defenders, they just were overwhelmed that they lost so many comrades in this battle and that they would not uh, kneel and submit. They were driven mad once they broke through the walls and no general was stopping them. And they literally dismantled the city. It was destroyed. Now, I often wondered, why would they take apart the building? Have you ever wondered that? I mean, I don't know if you have, but I have. Why would they take apart the stones? I mean, I understand fire gutting it and stuff, but why would they take apart uh, the stones? Well, that goes back to that gold. Fire melts, right? Materials are, are metals. So that gold that was plated onto them, uh, stones melted during the fire, so they took apart all the stones to get at the gold that fell into those cracks. To get it out. You know, it was not a single stone left upon another at the great temple that Herod built. You know, uh, as a side note, there's only going to be another temple built in Jerusalem during the tribulation period. Jews will rebuild a temple and they will sacrifice animals once again. And then, then during the millennial reign of Christ, the final temple will be built in Jerusalem. We're not going to look at that today, but just a little side note for you. 
So then uh, we see a star, startling horizon. Now, what was going to happen? Uh, they, they get up on the Mount of Olives in verse number 3, and uh, they, they've left the, the city. They left the temple. Jesus leads, leads his men up the Mount of Olives. I've never been to Israel or, you know, or anywhere around there, but I'm told that you know, the Mount of Olives is about 150 feet higher than the city of Jerusalem. Now, if I'm wrong, you can tell me after, but that's what I've read. Okay, And so you have a really panoramic view of the city, right? You can see down in it. It's pretty amazing. And it offered a commanding view of the city and of the temple. And as Jesus sat there on the mountain, he's approached by the four disciples here, uh, Peter uh, and James and John and Andrew. And they come asking questions. These disciples were baffled. They were shocked probably more than anything. But what he had said earlier about the destruction of the temple. And they're coming looking for an explanation. Have you ever had those events in life when someone tells you something and you're baffled? You're like, what does that mean? You know? And I'm not talking about the bank statement statement not being with all the money in it. Okay? I'm talking about like someone has told you something and you don't understand why that is that way. You know, so these men come in. I believe they come with a heart of just what is this all about? Uh, and, And Jesus tells them. In verse number four, it would tell us when these things shall be. What shall be the sign of when all these things shall be fulfilled? So the Lord tells them. He tells them, first of all, in verse number five, to take heed lest any man deceive you. Now, Jesus warns his man to beware of the deceivers in this world. Even the disciples could be drawn away by things they might hear and see. And the reality is, folks, we are no better than the disciples. We need to be careful. This this uh, possibility, this potential exists in every one of our hearts. We need to know the truth. That's why uh, you and I, we need to be grounded in the Word of God. We need to be familiar with what the Bible says in 1 Peter 3.15. It says, But sanctify the Lord God in your hearts and be ready always to give an answer to every man that asks of you the reason of the hope that's in you with meekness and fear. We need to get our doctrine nailed down tight in our hearts and lives. We need to know this book. That this book shouldn't just come out on Sunday mornings, you come out Sunday nights, or you go to a WBF. This needs to be coming out every day. You need to be referring to it. You need to be in it. And within it, you find truth. We live in a day and age where everything is changing. It's, it's, it's very disheartening on times to see how people have left the truth and followed error. And we need to know what it says so that when the deception comes or the deceiver shows up, we can know the truth and we can stand faithful for the Lord Jesus Christ. There are going to be false uh, messiahs. For many shall come in my name saying, I am Christ and shall deceive many. Uh, Jesus said many uh, of uh, Christ's followers will be driven, uh, or sorry, will be drawn away by deception. Uh, by the time of Jesus, you know, there have been several Jews who already claimed to be Messiah. Some were living even during the time of Christ. Many more would follow throughout the years. We're not going to turn there, but you can write this down and look up for yourself in Acts chapter 5, verses 36 and 37. It talks about two would-be messiahs on the go in that time in Israel. One was named Thaddeus. He claimed that he would uh, part the Jordan River. He said that. I can part it. And deceived about 400 people and led them to their deaths. Another fellow was named Judas the Galilean. And he was a radical anti-Roman revolutionary. And he founded the Zealot Movement in Israel. And do you know that one of the Zealots of his band left him and followed Jesus? You know who that was? That was Simon the Zealot. 
So one of the disciples of Christ at one time was deceived by one of these false messiahs. And after the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ, many more in that time period would show up. Uh, one was named Simon Bar Kochba, and he would start a, rebe- a rebellion that would last three years and cost thousands of lives in Israel. And the Romans cracked down on him and those individuals. And if there was anything left in Jerusalem after the Roman general Titus and his army, there was nothing left after this crackdown. Others included Moses of Crete. Moses of Crete said, hey, just follow me and we'll march across uh, the Mediterranean Sea on dry ground back to Israel. Guess what? It didn't happen. And hundreds of people died following him. And you're like, how could they follow? That doesn't make sense. I mean, that's so obviously that's not true. He, he commanded them to go and they left, uh, lipped off the, the glyphs thinking the water would open, uh, which I don't think is a great idea to jump on the ground, dry ground from a cliff anyway. Uh, but they followed to, and leapt to their deaths. In 1100s, a name by the name of Moses Eldiara told his followers to sell all their possessions because Messiah would show up at the Passover 1127. Well, the Messiah had showed up a long time before. And they were less destitute. There was nothing left. In 1666, a man claimed to hear the voice of God and to declare to those in that part of the world that he was the Son of God. He led his followers to the city of Constantinople. And there he was arrested by the Turkish sultan. And the sultan ordered him to show him that he was indeed the Messiah, or that he, if he couldn't, he'd be executed. So you know what this would-be Messiah did? He promptly converted to Muslim. Yeah, nice work there, pal. I mean, you said you were the Messiah. Now you reject what you taught and become a, a, a follower of Islam, and they rejected Messiah. Reject. I mean, it just keeps going, and that—that's ancient history. Hey, today it's happening too. I mean, not too long ago, I think of Joseph Smith, Charles Daz Russell, Mary Baker, Patterson, Glover, Eddie. You know, she had so many husbands, she almost lost track of them. But anyways, uh, and then there's Sung Young Moon. Come, there's some of the guys. And, uh, a guy, uh, what's his name? Um, Jim Jones. You know, uh, back in 1978, he led a thousand people to commit mass suicide. The guy that was down in Waco, that wasn't that long ago. I can remember watching that on CNN. You know, and then uh, just not too long ago as well, I remember uh, hearing on the news uh, of a group in Europe and in Quebec uh, that they said that a certain, I can't remember what year it was now, uh, but if the Messiah would return, and then they end up killing him in suicide. Hey, listen, they're around. And, and as the time approaches, the, you know, as we're getting closer to when Christ will return and uh, claim home his, his bride, more and more people will step forward claiming to be the Messiah. And listen, it happened back in Jesus' days. It's happening today. It's just happening a little bit more frequently. They're going to come along and uh, you know, try to deceive you with slick words and, and their evil deceptions. We need to know the truth so we won't be fooled by them. There will be wars. Verse 7, you shall hear of wars and rumors of wars. Be in that trouble, for such things must needs be. But the end shall not be net. Our world has been marked by war since the beginning of time. Conflict. So according to historians, in the last 3,228 years of recorded history, there's only been 268 years of peace. 
So there's been almost 3,500 years of recorded history. Only 268 has there been no war. And we're not even sure that there wasn't. It's just not recorded. That's astounding. You know, today in our world, today in our world, as we sit in our church today, there's 37 conflicts taking place in our world. And some of them are nation against nation. Some are against people within a nation, against the government of that nation. Uh, you know, it's conflict. Uh, wars. And we see that happening in our time. And it's going to increase. Wars have ravaged our planet. Wars ravage our planet, even though men say, we are becoming smarter. Or we are becoming more compassionate. We love peace. But yet there's still war. Well, they're never going to have peace without Jesus Christ, right? Jesus is peace. Jesus said these things must be. In that verse, God is using... The, the terrible tragedy of war to shape the coming of his son. And the reality is God's in control. He has, uh, he has a plan, though we do not understand it. God has a plan. There will be constant upheaval. Uh, and nation shall rise against nation, kingdom against kingdom, and there shall be earthquakes in diverse places. Uh, I mean, there's just going to be upheaval in our, in our world. Jesus tells us along that as the world stands, there will be strife among nations. And we need to make sure, I mean, if you watch the evening news too much, you, you probably end up having heart attacks or stress tests need to be taken because you think the world's going to end. You know, uh, uh, and, and it's, it's tough to take sometimes. And if you watch the, you know, the saber, saber rattling of uh, Iran and Russia and China and North Korea, you know, the news tends to make you afraid. You know, there's not too many stories you get on the news that makes you feel anywhere decent. You know, and you start thinking about the end. You almost like want to go in your base and was like, can I make a bunker down here? <laughs> Honey, can we store some food down here? You know, whatever the case is. Uh, the reality is, uh, I know we need to be concerned and we definitely need to pray for our world, amen? We need to pray. Uh, but the reality is, we need not fear because Jesus is on the throne. Jesus is with us. He's guiding us. He's with us. So we don't allow it to disturb you. Don't allow it to stop you from doing what's right. There'll be earthquakes. This world is no stranger to earthquakes. Uh, scientists tell us, again, in the last recorded kind of history, uh, uh, there's been 13 million people killed by earthquakes. About uh, 37, 3,800 years. Uh, we, hey, I think all of us that are adults, we can all remember, you know, that December in 2003, that tsunami, right, in Thailand. That was caused by an earthquake. Massive. Uh, it was 300,000. I think that's how many people were killed in that. That's phenomenal. Uh, I didn't know this until recently, but back in 1811, 1812, there was a series of eight, uh, great earthquakes in Arkansas that literally rearranged the land there, the landscape of the area. Rivers stopped flowing in some spots. You know, just the land changed. Uh, Mount St. Helens. Uh, I, I flew over that a few years ago. I was going to California. I came down from Vancouver, and I flew over it. And uh, it was a pretty neat scene from, from the air. But back in 1980, you know, it, it was a violent eruption. Violent. Uh, there was like a million cubic, uh, half, one half cubic mile of rock came down that hill, a mountain. And uh, it released such an explosion, a release of such energy that it was equivalent to 20 million tons of TNT. 
That's a lot if you didn't know. It's a lot. It toppled 150 square miles of forest in six minutes. And on the north end of the volcano, there's a thing called a lake called Spirit Lake. Okay, And uh, when all that debris came down that side of that mountain, it hit Spirit Lake and it caused a tidal wave or tsunami in that lake of 850 feet. So how many of you have ever seen the, uh, the Niagara Escarpment in Caledon? Anybody see? We can raise your hand if you've seen it. Okay, a few of us. Okay, that wave was taller than the escarpment. It was. It would. If it was at the base, it would have went over the top. I mean, it was just phenomenal height, and that's all from the the energy output from that earthquake. Showered uh, all kinds of ash up to 250 miles away. Uh, earthquakes are increasing in frequency, and, and uh, last year there was 130 earthquakes that were over six point zero on the Richter scale. You know, in 2019, there's already been 13 earthquakes over that mount, 6.0. I mean, it's happening. It's all around us. And it will continue to happen as we end the time end of when Jesus Christ will come and call his bride home. Hey, but you don't have to worry. Jesus is still in control. He, he's still on, he's still got it all figured out. He hasn't said, oops, I made a mistake. No, he has it all planned out. That talks about famines. We do, you know, here in Canada, we are so blessed. We are so blessed. I mean, the grocery stores have all kinds of food. We have access to all kinds of food. It's an amazing amount of food we have. And I mean, I have a, it's hard for me to understand, uh, just because of, of the abundance we have here in this land, that I don't understand how nine million people starve to death every year. Nine million. And that's, that's a, a well-known fact. It's a statistic that actually might be higher now, but, uh, you know, it's, it's, it's unbelievable to me. And it's, and we live in such a place of uh, a great prosperity and wealth and things. It's hard for me to understand how anyone could live on a dollar twenty-five a day. You know, over a billion people in our world live on that a day. A dollar twenty-five. I have more than a, than a billion people's week's wages in my cup holder in my car. That's crazy. Uh, and another three billion, so we're talking almost half the world lives under two fifty per day. You know, there's people every day who suffer from the effects of just being hungry. They're not starving to death, but they're just hungry. I think we can do more to help. Absolutely we can. But at the end of the day, I know Jesus is still in control. He's still watching out. I don't understand why all these things, but they, he has a plan. And there will be troubles of every kind. In Matthew account, Matthew's account of this conversation, the word pestilence is, is used. And uh, so the idea of upswing and upsurge in diseases uh, as the time approaches. Uh, medieval Europe was decimated by the Black Death, Black Plague, the plague, whatever word you want to use. Whole villages were destroyed. Uh, other plagues swept through, leaving millions dead. Uh, Spanish influenza outbreak uh, during the latter part of World War I actually killed way more people than the battles of World War I. It's unbelievable. I think of, uh, in more recent days, SARS, the bird flu, the swine flu. You know, I don't know what other animal flu is going to happen, but, you know, it's out there. 
I, I, I don't know for sure. I got really sick when that swine flu went around. I mean, I went to my doctor after I felt a little bit better. He goes, I think you might have had it. I felt like trash. I mean, it was bad. Uh, and uh, I think of the horrors of the virus of Ebola over in Africa we've seen on the television things. Uh, all these things are out there. And God's allowing them. We, uh, yeah, we shouldn't be allowed that to, that, that to, to seize a hold of our hearts and make us fear. We should look to Jesus and say, Jesus, I'm looking to you to provide. I'm looking for you to guide. I'm looking to you to protect. Because you're still on the throne. You're still in control. You are the truth. And I need to follow you. Verse number 8 uh, Jesus at the end is telling his men that some of these things that uh, you know will cause people to believe the end is near, and Jesus lets them know that they really he can't they can't really know when the end will come. And this passage has often been used to set dates and all that kind of stuff. Jesus tells them that when they see these things, these are the beginning of sorrows. These men were looking for signs. Don't we live in a world looking for signs? Right? We live in that world. If I promoted, I got on Facebook, I got an ad on 680 News and all this other stuff and said, I am going to preach about the signs of the end. There will be people show up here who have never been to our church before. Because they just want to see the signs. Show me the signs. Show me the signs. What Jesus gave them weren't signs at all. These were nine signs. He was just saying, these things are going to happen. These things are going to happen, fellas. This is what's going to take place. And the phrase, the beginning of sorrows, really, that you, you translate it from the Greek and, and things of that nature, the beginning of the birth pains. I think every lady here who has had a child knows when that first pang of pain comes. And you know, for usually, it's going to be, it's going to be intense, right? But this is just the beginning. This is just the start of that birthing process, which is an indicator, you know, it's going to be, it's going to be a hard time ahead. And it's the same thing with Jesus here. He's just saying, this is the, this is just the, you want to say that the preamble. This is just, we're just getting started. And Jesus wants his people to know that he's coming. And that's what his promise was while he was here in John chapter 14, verse 1. He says, let not your heart be troubled. Ye believe in God, believe also in me. No, and it goes on talking about how he's going to prepare a mansion for you, and I'll call you unto myself, that where I am, you may be also. That was the promise of the angels when he ascended to heaven in Acts chapter 1. And there was a promise to Apostle Paul uh, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. Behold, I'll show you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we all shall be changed in a moment, in twinkling of an eye, at the last trump, for the trump of, uh, shall sound, and the dead shall be raised incorruptible, and shall be changed. He does not want, Jesus does not want you as an individual believer, He does not want our church, like Lizzie Baptist Church, to get caught up in the speculation game. He doesn't want that. Because that deflects us from what we should be doing. It gets us off the mission. Lord wants us to live our lives in the following manner. He wants us to work like He's never coming. He wants us to work hard. That's what he wants. And he wants us to live like he might come at any second. He wants us to work like he's never coming, and he wants us to live like he might come at any second. We're not to be caught up in the guessing about when the Lord might or might not appear. We're not look. I mean, I've read this statement. I cannot claim this statement as original with me, but it's a fantastic statement. We are not to be looking for signs, but we're to be looking for the Savior. 
And we need to be looking to the Savior. Don't get caught up with that stuff. Stay away from that junk. Get serving Jesus Christ. Uh, look for the Savior. Look to Him. Look to Him. Look to Him. And, you know, tone out these voices of, what's the sign? What is the sign? I have a sign. You have the Bible. Get in it. See what it says. Now, don't get fooled by the deceiver because there's all kinds of them out there. I mean, I give you examples of those in the past. They're around here too. I don't even know all of them. I mean, we can't know all of them. But you know the truth. You won't get deceived. And keep looking to Jesus and look to Him and look to Him. If you're here today and you don't know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, and this message, you know, I'll be honest, if you don't know Christ as Savior, this message was probably a little disturbing to you. You probably didn't like a lot of things I said. Well, i got great news for you. Jesus desires you to be part of His family. He desires for you to come home to Him. He desires for you to uh, accept Him as Savior. And I would encourage you. I would urge with you. I would plead for you. And if I could, I would make you saved. But I can't because it's a personal decision. It's a personal decision if you'll accept Jesus Christ as Savior. I'll stand before you today and I'll tell you right now that Jesus Christ changed my life. Oh, I lived a pretty good pretty good life. I was a pretty good boy. My dad's here. You can ask him after service. I was a pretty good boy. Dad, you better say yes, okay? No. Reality is, I mean, I was doing my own thing. I, I wasn't getting in trouble with the law. I wasn't doing drugs. I wasn't drinking. I wasn't doing any of that. I was doing the right kind of stuff. And then one day I realized, hey, this is not... I, I'm lost. This doesn't end up anywhere. I realized that I'm a sinner. I was on a path that way, and I realized that this couldn't save me. There's a gulf between me and Jesus Christ. There's a gulf between me and heaven. And I couldn't jump that gulf. I couldn't make it on my own. And I realized that I was a sinner, and I was eternally lost without Jesus Christ. And because of my sin, I, I couldn't get to Christ on my own. I realized that, and although I was heading that day on April 1st, I made a decision. I was going to trust Jesus Christ. I go believe by him by faith. And, and I, I, so one day at that moment I was going this way and then I trusted in Jesus Christ and I was going this way. I, I repented of that sin and, and that way of life. I said, Lord, I want to trust you. I trusted him alone and, and he's going to protect me. He's going to provide for me. He's going to take care of me for eternity. And that's who I serve is Jesus. Unashamedly, I serve him. And he changed my life. For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son that whosoever believeth in Him should not perish but have everlasting life. It doesn't matter who you are. It doesn't matter what you've done. It didn't matter what you did 20 minutes ago, 2 days ago, 20 years ago. You still come to Jesus and He'll accept you. It doesn't matter. And I'm so glad that His salvation is for all. You can come to Him if you would just heed His call. If the Holy Spirit is working in your heart, you feel conviction, come to Him. Do not turn away. Don't say, I'll have a more convenient moment. You won't. You won't. Come to Him. He will not turn you away. I can remember times when I, I need to get something. I got to the store and the shutters are coming. Well, they're not going to let me in, right? We're going home, pal. It's closing time. Hey, there's no such time with Jesus. Any can come at any time. And him that cometh to me, I will in no wise cast out. You come to him, he will accept you. He will not toss you away. He will say, come. The things the Lord talked to his disciples about on that hillside, 
on the outskirts of Jerusalem, they still affect us today. This wasn't just a speech for those men. It's for us too. We have seen the wars, the famines, the troubles on the evening news, on social media. Some of you might have even experienced those things I talked about. I don't know. I have not. I have not experienced those things, but some of you might have. The best news in all of this is that Jesus Christ is our Savior, and He's in absolute control. There's nothing in this, nothing in this world surprising Him. He knows the truth, and the truth, if you will accept it, will set you free. He will change your life. As individual believers, let us not be deceived by the events of this time. Let's watch out for the deceivers. Let's watch out for the deception. Let's be determined in our hearts that we'll obey His Word. We will live for Him. We will make a difference for His glory and for His honor. Individual believers. You should make that determination. If you've never trusted Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, I would urge you to make that great decision. You know, so I told you I got saved on April 1st. Uh, and, uh, and the reality is, it changed my life. It changed my life. And I know if you would do it, it would change yours. And, and don't think that you've got to get some things reformed before you come to Jesus. Don't think I've got to get all this taken out uh, and taken care of before I approach the Lord. No, you know what the Lord says? Come. Come to me. I just read you a verse. I will not cast you out. Come to me. Come to him with your problems. No, don't try to get reform yourself. You need to be transformed by Jesus Christ. That's what you need. And I'm telling you, he's, his arms are wide open. He's just longing for you to come. And maybe there's, maybe I'll use this example in closing. Maybe there's someone in your family that, you know, uh, you go see. Maybe it's a friend or maybe it's a coworker. And every time you see them, they're just so inviting and they're so hospitable and you just feel so warm and fuzzy whenever you get around them and you're like, I love being with you. You just make me feel so good. You know, I just like the way how you accept me. Listen, Jesus' arms are wide open. He accepts you like no one else will ever will. He's, his arms are wide open. He says, come home. Come to me. I will not cast you. I will change your life. And you'll get to spend eternity with me. What a great gift. It's the greatest gift. If you haven't accepted him, I plead with you to do that. Don't put it off for a more convenient day. Today is the day of salvation. The beginning of sorrows. Hey, you don't have to begin any day without Jesus Christ. Amen. He can be with you every day, even in your days of sorrow. He's with you. Look to Him. Let's pray. Dear Jesus, thank You for Your Word. Lord, pray that You would encourage our hearts now, that we will trust You as individual believers, that we'll know Your Word so we will not be deceived by the deceivers that would be a Messiah's fake, false, the Antichrist that are about. Help us to know the truth and not be drawn away. And Lord, I pray for those who might not know you as Savior, Lord, that today they would choose you. They accept your gift of salvation. Lord, I pray these things in your holy and precious name. Amen.